This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And this, if you've got a Bible, it might well be on page 869, but it's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, welcome everybody. My name is Liz Gray and I am the Rector at Incarnation and uh, you know it's been very odd preparing for today but it's now that it's here and we've got people I know in the West Coast, people in Jordan, people in Philadelphia, people all over the place all joining together with worship, I kind of go this is amazing. Um, it's quite an extraordinary experience and, and moment. So one of the things that we have been doing is going through the five verses in scripture that talk about one thing, one thing, one thing is necessary. And this crops up both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so two weeks ago, we were looking at the verse from Psalm 27, verse four, which says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We talked a bit about one thing about how it was seeking God's beauty in the midst of war. And somehow this feels very appropriate as we have moved into a time somewhat of siege, it feels like now, that uh, to this idea of gazing on the beauty of the Lord as uh, in the midst of chaos. And then last week we were in Mark chapter 10 and Jesus with the rich young ruler who Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Again, this feels so very, very appropriate as we see many people now around the world and shortly we'll probably see more of our friends and neighbors beginning to struggle to cope in a difficult season. And so this week we have an account of Jesus visiting Martha's home. And so what do you know about Martha? She comes up in three different stories in scripture, and there are lots of things that um, we know about where she lived. She lived um, in Bethany with her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus. And the things that we know about Bethany is it's about two miles from Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives. And if you ever go to Jerusalem, you'll get the opportunity to go out and look and you go down into the valley and then up on the other side and you get to, the Mount, get to Bethany. And Jesus and his disciples would probably have passed through Bethany quite often. Uh, and no doubt they would stop and rest in the courtyard, eating and talking and discussing the news and ideas that Jesus brought. Perhaps they would come together in smaller subgroups, but undoubtedly they were well known in this home in the village. When Martha is described as serving, the word that is used for her is as a deacon, uh, the diakonos. So she's described as being a diakonos both in Luke 10:40 and John 12:2. In John 11:5, it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so we know that she's someone who's become very special, a dear friend to Jesus. And then there's the story in John 11. 
um, and we can pull it up maybe if you've got a Bible or um, part of it will be on the screen in a moment. Lazarus is dying and the sisters send for Jesus. And the sisters send to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and, her, and Lazarus. And then in verse 19, it picks up again. Uh, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And Martha then goes out and she rushes out to see Jesus. And she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now that is the most profound statement that Martha was making just there. So she, unlike, the only other person who really at this time was making similar statements was Peter, who made the statement, you are the Christ. So Martha was quite a remarkable woman. She had grasped deeply who Jesus was. And in that particular story in John 11, then Jesus goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead. But in John chapter 12, it has another story about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Six days before the Passover, this is the next screen, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, many of you have already now got pictures of who Mary and Martha are in your heads. Mary, this um, very gentle, contemplative, the person who was given to extravagant gestures of love, the one who sat at Jesus' feet, who poured expensive perfume, who wiped his feet with her hair. Martha, the practical older sister, organizing, carrying the weight of the household, making sure everyone is fed and watered, proactively going out, calling Jesus, running out to him, making statements, engaging with him. So then we come again to this passage that we're looking at this evening about from Luke chapter 10. Martha distracted by much serving. Martha going up to Jesus and saying, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Put yourself in Martha's shoes for a minute. You've got Jesus and his disciples who've all turned up hungry. They're all sitting around listening to him talk and you're feeling frustrated. To be honest, my sympathies are nearly always with Martha in this story because the pressure of hospitality can feel overwhelming. And after all, Martha was being a good deacon. She was doing all the diaconal kind of stuff, making sure that people were fed and watered. It's easy to even get a little bit irritated with Jesus in Martha's defense. After all, doing is necessary. But stop and pause for a moment. Last week, we saw Jesus dealing with the rich young ruler, the impetuous young man who felt like he was entitled to everything. Jesus didn't say, 
to him, come and sit at my feet. But get out there, go and sell your stuff, engage with the poor, get up face to face with people, learn their stories, hear what's going on, and then come and follow me. Once you understand the poor, a very explicit go-do message. So Jesus doesn't always say, come sit. So first of all, perhaps it's worth noticing the way that he calls her name twice, Martha. Martha. Such a gentle and loving voice. This wasn't a scolding. This wasn't a rebuke. He's just tenderly responding to a slightly petulant woman. But the tone I feel is kind. Martha, stop doing. Stop doing and come and take time to be present with me. Come and seize the moment. Come and be with me. Listening would be a better choice today. Don't miss out by being and not doing, doing and not being. I love the fact that Jesus is also somewhat upturning the, the normal traditional gender roles of the moment. He's saying, come out of the kitchen. Come out of the kitchen and come and sit with me. Come and sit with the other disciples. Come and listen. Come and learn. Come and participate. I often wonder what happens next. I really hope that Martha went and sat at Jesus' feet. I really hope that she just exhaled and took the moment for what it was, that an opportunity to build relationships, build stories. I really hope that she then would have stories which she would tell her grandnieces and nephews or her grandchildren or children generations to come about that night when she learnt that Jesus wanted her to come and be in relationship with him. And I like to think that maybe afterwards, everybody got up to help. Maybe Peter went and peeled the potatoes. Maybe uh, James went and drew water from the well. Maybe Jesus went and helped Lazarus cut some wood for the fire. Maybe they communally became common tables people all together. And what fun that would have been. Sounds like a really incarnation-y sort of moment. So how often have I, have you, perhaps lost a relational moment by being a little bit too busy, doing things which could have been different if you'd invited others into them? Sometimes possibly justifying our busyness, filling my need to be known, my need to be wanted need. And Jesus points out that she's worried and distracted by many things instead of being focused on one thing. And so it's worth listening to this call that Jesus has when he is with us for us to take note. When he says, come and be with me, to go and be with him. Mary and Martha both had the opportunity to sit at his feet and to learn. And again, it reminds me of that verse from two weeks ago. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So this is a strange Lent, this Lent, the strangest any of us have probably ever had. And we're being reminded at the moment of the delight and opportunity of both giving up and taking up. And so I wonder what you have done in your practices this week. Two weeks ago, I invited you to look for God's beauty when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling under siege. Last week, I invited you to think about how you were going to liquidate some of your assets, whether time or money or resources of some sort, friendship, and going to deliver some relationships. 
And this week, rather timely, there's a call for us to refocus our anxiety. All of us know anxious people at the moment, including ourselves. Many of us are very anxious, anxious about many, many things. So how can we use this moment to be present to the needs of others? Can we be a non-anxious presence? Can we be people who draw others to sit at Jesus' feet? To be honest, I've hardly ever been quite as distracted as I have been this week. Every five minutes, switching on the news or checking a different website to see what's going on in the world, looking at a new article, reading a new idea, hearing a new theory, a new statistic, a new number. I think Jesus says to me, Liz, Liz, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Come and be present. Come and sit. This coming week is going to hold challenges for all of us. We might need to learn new skills with teleworking. We may have extra pressure of juggling work and kids home for a long time without social outlets. We will have neighbors who get sick. We will perhaps have household members who get sick. Many more people will be alarmed and uncertain about how to behave. And the invitation is, choose one thing, be present. Choose the better thing. Choose to be non-anxious and to listen for the voice of Jesus wooing you to pay attention to him. So practically, I'm going to give you a few suggestions. There's going to be different ways of using time in the next week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. And I'm going to encourage you each to make a list of things that you want to do each day and things you don't want to do. First of all, can I strongly urge you to limit your online activity? Can I urge you for the sake of your own anxiety to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to check what's happening in the world when I get up because that's kind of interesting. And I'm going to check what's happening in the world maybe just before I eat my dinner. And I'm going to limit myself to 10, 15, 20 minutes of reading articles and looking at statistics. And in that time, I'm going to write down two things that I could pray for. And then I'm going to switch it off. And I'm going to take some time to pray for those two things. Because you're worrying between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. about the world isn't going to further things, but your prayer might change things. So can I encourage you to do that? And then maybe also make a list of some other things you could do in this very unique time. Some putting down and taking up. Perhaps do some reading. Perhaps physically get out your paper Bible and remember what it feels like to read from a paper Bible again. Turn those pages. Read the Gospels. Sit at Jesus' feet. Could you take the opportunity each day to not just text somebody, but perhaps call them? Call them and check in on how they're doing and have a chat about something other than the virus. How could you learn to encourage one another in the days ahead? And can I also encourage you, and I'll talk more about this when I get to the announcements, to maybe call me and Amy. Set up a time where we could chat, pray, think, walk, do something which will help to alleviate, particularly if you're feeling anxious. We're going to take a moment now, as we always do, to pause and to pray. And normally we do it in silence. But I'm actually going to invite you to 
to follow along with me as I encourage you to give up some of your anxiety, to let Jesus take it, and then to still our minds. So perhaps you'd like to take up a posture with your hands open. Quiet yourself, close your eyes. Could you name silently or out loud your anxieties, the things that have been worrying you, the people, places, governments, decisions, ideas that have been worrying you, and just picture putting them all down in a little row, like little pebbles in front of you as you pray. Now imagine what would Jesus do? What will Jesus do as he comes into your line of vision? As he picks them up one by one. Let him have them. Relinquish them. Lord, have mercy. Will you take our anxieties? Will you take the people we love? Look after them. Will you take the decision makers we we don't understand and will you guide them to understanding? Whatever the things are that are in front of you, will you let Jesus take them? As a prayer, Lord have mercy, Christ of mercy, Lord of mercy, we say it quite often. I'm going to pray it and maybe as you pray it with me, you could breathe in on the Lord and the Christ and out on the have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. <laughs>